Uh, just to clear up a couple of things before this starts as a result of some feedback from patrons who've listened to this episode already. Um, I talk about uh, episodes five and six being sort of truncated into just episode five. This was obviously, this was prior to it being made. This this happened in the scripting process. Uh, it wasn't like Planet of Giants where they filmed episodes, two episodes and edited them together. Um and the other thing is, I, sometimes you don't mention the wood for the trees. I talked a lot about that being the fallout between Hazeman and Lincoln uh, and the production team. But also there was, of course, the whole merchandising element. Hazeman and Lincoln wanted a slice of the merchandising revenue of the quarks because I think they imagined them taking over the toy shops. And they were already, they'd been licensed, hadn't they, to a, a, a comic strip uh, or two. Um, and uh, they, there was a schism between them and the production team because of that. And there were big um, fallout meetings at the BBC as a result. Um, but I think I got more carried away talking about um, the scripting differences between you know them and, and Sherwin's script editing, as opposed to uh, um, that element, the, uh, the merchandising element, which was also a big part of the fallout. So just clear that up before we begin. Uh, so now enjoy, if you can, uh, episode five of The Dominators. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, am set the task of accentuating the positive about a nominated Doctor Who story and then seeing if I can guess what my guests' favourite things about it are. So, I'm Andrew Smith. Uh, I'm a writer. And um, in relation to Doctor Who, I wrote Full Circle. And for the last 10 years plus, I've contributed several stories to uh, the Big Finish audio ranges for Doctor Who and other titles. So, Toby, for uh, my contribution to this excellent series of yours, I've selected The Dominators. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's time for the fifth, originally not planned to be final episode of The Dominators. Uh, but it is. It was originally planned as a six-parter, and it got edited down to five, uh, particularly the last two episodes were sort of amalgamated into one part, I think, pretty much. Um, it was a bit more complicated than that. But anyway, let's uh, look at the whys and wherefores. Maybe we won't. Maybe I will just react to what I see. Um, rather sadly, as I've been doing The Dominators, or as The Dominators have been, we've, we've lo actually lost two key members of the team. So Henry Lincoln, um, as I record this, not, you know, only only a month or so ago, um, the last 60s writer remaining uh, died. Um, and now, in between episodes four and five of this, Kenneth Ives, who in the previous episodes you'll have noticed I talk about in the present tense, um, has passed away, um, sadly. So, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've lost an, an, another... Another member of the Doctor Who family has gone to the great TARDIS in the sky. And a shame, because he's, uh, he's done a good job in this. Um, so, uh, sorry, Kenneth. Sorry to see you go. Who's Hawkeye and Last of the Mohicans with John Abernary and Philip Maddock, directed by David Maloney. Prentice Hancock's in it. Uh, not like the Daniel Day-Lewis film, but uh, BBC, much of it in the studio version and with, uh, you know, 
with much to recommend it, actually. Um, although, you know, you would not make Last of the Mohicans with Chingachgook and Magua played by John Abenary and Philip Maddock or, act- or comparable actors uh, in this day and age. Uh, and it is a bit odd watching watching that the, the aspect of it now, even though they're both absolutely terrific actors. Anyway, that's for another time. We are going to make peace, uh, even though they won't like it, with the Dominators as we choose episode five. We're going to watch from the beginning uh, in three, two, one. Um, this better be an exciting episode because I could have said a lot of that uh, over the action over the course of the next 23 minutes or so. Um, because as I recall, well, you, you know, yes, it, it, this is why Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln, who'd done such good work on The Abominable Snowman and The Web of Fear, fell out with the Doctor Who production team. I, rem- I remember I was too young to understand, and I, there, was a, there was a Doctor Who winter special, summer special magazine uh, that interviewed all of the producers, which was the last thing I wanted. I mean, now, what an amazing thing to have done. Alexa, Volume 4. Uh, and Derek Sherwin said, we lost an episode of The Dominators. And I immediately thought that meant, oh, they, they lost an episode, as in lost episodes, which means they must have subsequently found it because they've got all of the... He didn't mean we lost an episode of The Dominators in, in the sense that it became a missing episode. He meant in the course of the production, we lost an episode, uh, i.e. we decided to knock it back from six to five. It wasn't just that, because I've seen some of the paperwork. Um, uh, It was also, there were arguments about merchandising and things like that. The Quarks were set to be the rivals to the Daleks, and uh, I think Sherwin had got his eye on uh, some golden opportunities for the BBC, and Hazeman and Lincoln had their eye on, you know, a similar to deal to that which Terry Nation had benefited from as it was it was moot because the quarks were never gonna quite take off in such a way um but it certainly looks like showing could have handled it better um and anyway it means norman ashby uh, the name i think of the fathers-in-law an amalgam of the name of the fathers-in-law of Hazeman and Lincoln. Um, Johnson Bailey is not in studio this week, so yes, we, I think is it John John Turner, John Tucker, uh, is the uh, is the body extra. Although you can't really uh, see it, and the and the and obviously we see him on Johnson Bailey on film from last week getting killed because the the reprise from last week is played in from film. Um, and and it uh, one does get the feeling. I, I I mean I'm sympathetic to Derek Sherwood in the sense that. That was another episode ending where Toba is being unnecessarily sadistic and wasteful and the way that our heroes escape from the terror they are facing is for Rago to walk in and go, stop wasting the batteries, you moron, and Toba to go, oh, blooming heck. Um, So, I mean, I can't imagine that a, a sixth episode of The Dominators, unlike... Uh, Ab- Abominable Snowmen, which uh, really kicks off in episode uh, five. Although the Web of Fear episode five is a bit tready, watery. Uh, I think the, 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 the great intelligence says, I, I'll give you 20 minutes. Uh, 
and, and actually the episode takes 25, so if it's 20 minutes, it's 25 minutes. Um, uh, but it's still great. I love The Web of Fear. Um, I will hear no word against it. I think it's a magnificent story. And I think their stories are sort of gutsy and uh, action-packed. And, and this, this, this isn't quite the same. I, I, I don't know if it's because of the look of the thing. It's easy to be sort of tough and gritty when you've got soldiers running about. Um, that's why I'm always surprised at how tough and gritty Abominable Snowmen is towards the end because I, I don't expect that so much from, from monks. I don't know why. Uh, but I certainly don't expect it from a balding man in a curtain. <laughs> uh, much as I love Arthur Cox. Um, but but I think all the quarry stuff really works. Um, but I've got to look for I've got to look for two things, of course. Uh, and and I mean, this is a nuclear shelter, isn't it? That they're that they're in, and and that I like it when you know the the theme of the story provides uh, a setting or a plot point. So this is about pacifism as a result of nuclear war, which is something you know, in the air very much in the late 1960s. So again, it's it, it's odd that they set it in such a sort of far away, unidentifiable place, I suppose, because they want to create a new society for us to watch and consider the morals of the peace through the lens of these, you know, this pacifist society, which you couldn't do if you set it on Earth, uh, certainly not contemporary Earth. Um, so that's, you can see why they do that. But it does mean that we're sort of a step away from the Dulcians and we're slightly askance at their sort of rather fey hopelessness. Um, but, you know, that's... But but that said, this this is a story looking at, the, you know, the peace movement in the 60s and, and doing an unusual thing for Doctor Who instead of, you know, being awash with sort of liberal subtext as Doctor Who so often is... Uh, this, and I think it's really interesting in that regard, and I, and I think it's a legitimate use of Doctor Who to to put to put um, a di a different point of view, and um, much as I was very angry with the 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 story for doing this back in the day, I I, I, I think it's it's greatest crimes are, are not actually the rather reactionary attitudes of the writers um, which which nonetheless do have a practical thing that liberals like me have to wrestle with and go well actually uh, you know pacifism is all well and good but what do you do if to an aggressor then uh, and I, I you know that's a really legitimate thing to raise within Doc 2 but what what I what I like about the fact that they have the the nuclear bunker is that 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 aspect of the storytelling and the plot and the practicality of the unraveling of the story is that they're hiding in in a location that is linked to the nuclear aspect of the story and I and I I, I like that you know it's not just a a random place that they found to hide out in. It's a, it's a nuclear shelter, uh, which takes us back to the beginning of the story, 
where you know the dominators are, are coming and soaking up the nuclear energy and and Ballon and his lot are learning mm-hmm. about you know um, the you know the, the the dangers of nuclear fallout and Cully and his lot are are you know on a dangerous escapade to the island that's full of death because of the nuclear fallout so it's all you know I like all of that um, look at Ronald Allen that sort of detached grotesque alienness is great everyone's suitably mucky which I like um, oh do you think Kando and Teal are going to get married they held hands there I like that it's a bit chunky, clunky that dialogue where they go oh dear Balan has died what a shame but so often in Doctor Who, and I picked up the seeds of death for doing this, you know, if, if somebody dies and somebody else doesn't see, nobody's really that bothered and they don't even acknowledge it. Um, but, I, I, you know, it's, it's quite nice that they at least, you, you know, emphasise that, you know, one of their number has been brutally murdered, even if they did deal with it in a, oh, 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 hey, kids, we didn't manage to save that old man from getting repeatedly shot to bits by malevolent boxes oh oh what rotten luck everybody um <laughs> i think i seem to recall wendy padbury saying these dresses this dress that she wore was so flimsy uh, and almost made of paper that it sort of tore uh, loads and loads of times uh oh i remember did, did I tell you in an earlier episode? Sorry, there's been a bit of a gap between me d- doing the earlier instalments of, of this. One of the first things I heard Wendy Padbury say was not a very complimentary thing about Maurice Barry. Um, and yeah, this, again, this all ties in with the whole, um, you know, yeah, so they're they're after getting the energy and they're, they're going to do... It's the sort of same trick as the Dalek invasion of Earth, isn't it? They're going to drop a bomb uh, and our, our guys are going to intercept it. Um, and it's curious, isn't it? Because we, we, we end this one on a cliffhanger. This is the beginning of the, the season. And actually, it's, it's, it's funny how this season unfolds because you have this leading into the mind robber via the cliffhanger of the volcano and then the mind robber ends really weirdly and abruptly with with the TARDIS just sort of reassembling but we find out next week that that that, that as a result of what's happened it, it, it's it's gone invisible and that starts the invasion so we we have a sort of run through the first three stories of all being very connected but ending quite oddly um lovely that Jamie uh, who has been dismissed <laughs> <laughs> this happens to it's a great thing that they do with Jamie. they dismiss him they dismiss him he comes up with a brilliant idea and then he goes oh it's probably a rubbish idea i love that that's a glorious jamie bit of business and um <laughs> and i i have to say that there aren't many things i like uh more than fraser hines going ah eh <laughs> he's he's I mean, he's he's Fraser is never far away 
from a for a gag or a pun. He's 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 a he's a man of real patter, um, and and he manages to put that into Jamie, and yet I I always believe him as Jamie, even though I think there's a bit of cognitive dissonance. Is that in in that you? I don't know. Do, do I kind of know it's Fraser Hines uh, uh, rather than what a, a Jacobite from the Battle of Culloden would really be like? Um, because there's a certain point fairly early on. Rob Shearman identifies it in uh, when we're doing. Uh, oh, look at that! That's quite funky. When we're doing running through corridors, uh, the burning, burning torch in the wall. Love that beautiful lighting there, and cutting onto film to to have that sort of. The, the, the cutting it's an ordinary screwdriver that burns a hole in the wall um, uh, so the start of the sonic screwdriver being able to do everything um, I don't know if that is the sonic screwdriver is it um, I was talking um, but he said it looks like an ordinary screwdriver didn't he anyway got too late you know um, uh Oh, they burnt through that pretty quickly. Um, that 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 Jamie sort of stops being Jamie and becomes a sort of amalgam of Jamie and Fraser Hines, and I th and I think the show is all the better for it. And you can you can rationalise it because you go well, you know, how long has Jamie been travelling with the Doctor? He's he's learnt, you know, he's learnt the banter and the patter, and he's and he's picked up the things that he's seen and. And and yes, he is, you know, instinctively um, reactive and and um, sometimes intuitive, and and he improvises and he comes up with solutions. But he's also a bit thick, and I quite quite like that. <laughs> uh, and I I love the fact that Troughton enjoys blowing, chuck chucking things around and causing explosions the sort of glee that he has he's like he's a little miscreant is uh, is uh Troughton. oh uh, top marks as well to the fact that we've cut straight from the action in the bunker we don't see jamie and cully going out and having a preamble we cut straight to them charging down a hill uh, in, you know behind some quarks They're straight into the action no need for you know the sort of segueing from you know one scene to the other um uh, but yes, Tr Tr Troughton, Troughton is 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 like a sort of oik at school, isn't he? <laughs> Who takes great delight in um, sort of chaos and destruction, and that's very very charming. Um, Tr Troughton does it very well. I'm loving all these. Oh, oh, poor old Quark is gonna blow up. Love that. Um, oh, it's no, oh, it's not quite blown up. This is this is terrific stuff. This is the sort of stuff that if I was a kid uh, in the late nineteen sixties watching Doctor Who, I would have lapped up all of this. Uh, uh, although looking at that, the continuity between because that was a shot of three quarks and then it was just one blowing up. Um, I'd never noticed that before. Um, but anyway, I, 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 if, if I'd been a kid in the 60s, this this stuff of, you know, having a little test tube that's something you can sort of imitate at school uh, and, and hurling it around, blowing up the, 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 the robots. Uh, oh, you see, Toba, uh, you've, you've been told so many times not to waste energy. You're finally obeying orders. And actually, that's the great irony of this 
is that's the worst thing he could possibly do at this point. Uh, <laughs> you, you finally learn that the moral of the story is here. If your leader encourages you not to be sadistic uh, and not to enjoy killing uh, your enemies, when you when you finally that's a brilliant shot. And that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, natural set that those those peaked uh whatever whether whether it's rocks or sandbanks or whatever it's really unusual it's not quite like a normal quarry those those peaks they're glorious and uh i i think the story really benefits from all of this location stuff but 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 yeah um, <laughs> uh if if you finally turn your back on sadism um, all your plans are going to go to hell and actually you should have done all that killing and wastefulness um, because as soon as you stop, your plan will fail. <laughs> uh, so Kenneth Ives was, uh, I mean, a definitive director of Pinter on television. Harold Pinter, who wasn't in the Abominable Snowmen's uh, work. On... Now, I like this. Uh, I, 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 you know, there's. I, I like the thought that's gone into the idea. I mean, the idea of you know robots only having a certain amount of power, you know, it gives them a weakness, and you go, oh, do we need that? And you go, well, actually, it gives them a plausibility. So yeah, why not? And then the idea that one of those has got slightly more power than the other one, so they do that funny thing where they go and and they equalize, and they, you know, they do it with that. It's explained within the script with great efficiency they just say don't they equalize uh, and so as a result the one that's got the most power gives a bit of his power uh, it's a bit like plugging your laptop into your your, your iphone into your laptop um oh, oh they've attacked the drilling quarks oh dear um that's really sad there's poor quark underneath the drill oh and poor topa's <laughs> batting his hands dusting his hands and he's finally Lost it with Rago. Oh, can't. see, you keep telling me not to do anything. Um, um, but yeah, the equalised thing, I, I really like. That's because that puts some thought into how these things operate. And that's a very sort of practical thing. And I can, you know, I can, I, 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 I you know, I can, I can get how that works. Um, and clever use of the, the quarks here as well, because there's only three quark actors. Well, actually, I've been looking at the paperwork. Um. They've only got the location stuff. So it's definitely John Hicks, Gary Smith and Freddie Wilson on location. But Freddie Foote, who played the servo robot in The Weird in Space, told me that he was a quark. Now, there is no paperwork uh, for the studio stuff. So maybe one week, John Hicks, Gary Smith or Freddie Wilson was ill and they went, ooh, short. And can do a robot. Oh, what about what about the lad who did the servo robot? Um, there's no reason why he couldn't have done because we don't have the paperwork, um, and paperwork can be wrong as well. And Freddie remembers being a quark, so who am I to argue? Um, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, that's a very big hole he's made with his not a screwdriver welding thing. Um, and that th are they digging with their hands? Um, but that ah, doesn't matter, does it? Um, and uh, actually, you get a real sense. 
just by the use of the ladder, and maybe it's something to do with the lighting as well. I do feel that they're underground here. I, I, and I don't know how you suggest that. It's very clever. Uh, this, this definitely feels like a nuclear bunker, a bunker with a bunk bed. Um, uh, and I think, yeah, the lighting in here is very nice. Um, but, but yeah, there's, a, there is a real sense of place. Um, Oh, the periscope helps as well. Yeah. Uh, so they got to yeah, they got to go and catch the bomb. Uh, <laughs> yes, he's got a sort of grimace as uh, as Ronald Allen. He, he, he yeah, he's like a sort of corpse of stone. Um, Uncle Quentin. <laughs> uh, So, yeah, Troughton was getting a bit cross with the role at the, uh, uh, at this point. Uh, I know that Paddy Russell said that she'd spoken to him many years later and said, uh, you know, you, Patrick, I've always liked working with you, but I spoke to a few people who worked with you when you are on Doctor Who, and, you know, they said you were hard work. And he said, I was just knackered. Um, and that's why he's not on location here. That's why... The, the Mind Robber episodes are only very short, you know, 19, 20 minutes, I think, or 20, 21 minutes. Um, but of course, <laughs> uh, episode one, because it replaces episode six of this, uh, has to be cheap and so only really has the three regulars in it. So they go, yeah, the, these episodes are really short. And then Trent goes, yeah, but it's all us. Come on. Um, so uh, I know they really. You know, I, I, I think he was he was really exhausted, uh, uh, and 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 was not happy uh, this year, but he never stops acting his socks off. I mean, you how can you take your eyes off that face? Um, but uh, it, it it means we can have fun with. I would be very interested to see uh, because the film is slightly out of phase, so I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's as blatant a shot of his face as sometimes legend has it, but I'm, uh, let's have a look. Let's have a look. Um, it is, as I say, an interesting curio that... Uh, yeah, here he is. So this is not Patrick Troughton. This is an out-of-phase Chris Jeffries. Um, now, and of course, because the film would not have been out-of-phase in the original... Um, broadcast for the uninitiated and forgive me if I make a hash of this I am reporting what I'm told by my friend Peter who t explains to me how these technical things work something something happens when we we copy stuff over um, to the you know to, to, to preserve and sell these Doctor Who's something happened in the process of making the recordings is that some of the stuff that is on film, if we don't have the original film, uh, when it's transferred over to videotape and back again or something like that, it goes out of phase, which means you get that slightly shaky image, which means it's not as distinct. And there's no rules, apparently, as to why some film sequences are in phase and some are out. Uh, uh, and that, that, that particular film sequence is out of phase. So we don't quite get... Uh, 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 as good a look at the doctor's face, even though it's there on camera. So 
uh, yeah, that's interesting that they didn't even sort of try. The camera shakes a little bit. Certainly, and certainly as he gets close, it shakes and it lowers. So there's a, there's a vague effort to disguise the fact it's not Doctor Who, but not much of one. Um, and there we have it. So the Doctor's put the bomb on the Dominator ship. And <laughs> Rago's last word is obey, <laughs> which is what we tell Toba to do for the whole thing. Um, uh, and oh, and then it's it ends rather quickly, doesn't it? Because, gosh, so, gosh, it's not far. So that shot of the Doctor running across the planet—that's that's really not very far from the end. I'd I'd, I'd sort of anticipated a much, a, a little a little bit more action, but there's there's not at all. They basically um, they catch the bomb chuck it into the spaceship and boom um so there we are that's uh that's the end of the dominators i, I can't imagine what an extra episode would have done i th i think it's even though that ending is quite um sudden uh and there's n and there's none of your usual sort of um set of goodbyes or or uh, uh, you know an, an apposite coda um to, to to reflect on what we have just seen it's it's oh ek, there's a volcano let's go um but as i say that's that's part and parcel of this very odd start to season six anyway which has run in pretty directly from uh, a, a repeat of evil of the daleks that uh, you know was broadcast after season five so it's quite relentless um yeah it is it's 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 almost like that the, the series is too afraid to sort of slow down and it's is is sort of moving uh, uh, you know it's getting getting through it by the skin of its teeth um so that's that's interesting but it's a it's a very funny sort of wayward season you know the fact that you can go from the mind rubber to the invasion uh which is you know, totally different in tone and style. Equally, you know, good and, and interesting and well-mounted, but totally different. Uh, and then to the Crotons, which I, I really like, but it is like sort of, you know, slightly cheap and cliched sci-fi for in, in, in many aspects, in, ma in many respects. So oh, really interesting, um, sort of, as I say, yes, yeah, slightly, slightly wayward season. Um but I liked the Dominators there. I'm not blind to its fault, but I actually enjoyed it m much more than I thought. I didn't think it was as dull as I uh, as I as I perhaps had it down as. Um, I think that's because I quite enjoy wrestling with what it's trying to say. Um, I certainly think Ronald Allen and and Kenneth Ives are great. Um, the Quarks, I think, look good. Um, the uh, the cute voices do they work? I don't know. I'm in two minds, um, but I, I I admire what they were trying to do with that. I can see what they're trying to do there. Um, instead of giving something a scary voice, give it something different to to to, to be uh, you know a bit more surprising. Um, you know, in fact, one of my beefs with with the new series 
you, you know, is that they've they've taken the the Zygons and the Ice Warriors, and I think now, but I've only seen a trailer, the Sea Devils, so each creatures with you know very distinctive voices, and they've gone, we're gonna yeah, what we'll do to update those is to give them slightly sort of generic monstery voices, and you go, really, really, is that what you, that you've decided to do? Um, but because it's that's less risky. And I think it was a risky move to do all the sound stuff that they did with the quarks. But I, I like especially that all the, the the trilling and all the sound effects that, that emit from the quarks are samples of of Sheila Grant's voice. So you know, I think that's I think that's um, you know, I think that's laudable in intent. If I'm not a hundred percent sure of the. Uh, of the execution i think my favorite bit from episode five well it's a toss-up between jamie being dismissed then having a great idea and then dismissing it himself i really like that uh or troughton's glee uh at the explosion um because my overall thing i'm going to do it in the wrong order now my overall thing which i think is hands down the best thing about the story is ronald allen as Rago. Um, I think he's brilliant. I think he looms over the thing cadaverously. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's he's got a better part than Kenneth Ives. I don't think Kenneth Ives does anything wrong. Um, but but Tober is there to be, um, you know, slightly an, an, an annoying. He annoys Rago uh, and and slightly sort of st st stupid. You know, he does he does the he does the hot-headed stuff that his commander has to rein in. And those characters are, uh, I think, less easy to make menacing than the, you know, yes, the the leering commander-type figure. So it's no disrespect to Kenneth Ives. Um, and, and, and as for the... You know the the Dulcians, they all they all do their best, but they're not. You know they're 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 not dealing with the best dialogue, and they're they're uh, they're not they're not brilliantly drawn. Uh, so you know nobody does anything wrong, but nobody's going to get singled out as being as as doing super work because uh, there's not an awful lot to deal with there. But I think Ronald Allen um, emerges with great dignity. He 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 desperately definitely has an alien thing going on and I think his performance probably led Ian Martyr to that sort of creaking um d you know death-like um visceral um depiction that that he gives them on the page I think I think the 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 springboard for that was obviously something he saw in in Ronald Allen's performance which which has that you know uh, risen from the grave kind of um you know his 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 cruelty is a grim cruelty he's not a smiling sadist it's uh it's more a sort of morbid fascination that doesn't particularly turn him on and yet it does but only in a way that you're turned on when you're kind of almost undead it's yeah it's really good stuff from ronald allen so he's my favorite thing my bonus thing do I go for... I feel like I, I should give Fraser Hines some credit because I so often overlook the the regulars. Um, and, and that's Essence of Jamie, that him 
being ignored, coming up with a good idea. What I explained before. But I did like Troughton's glee at the explosion. I think I'm going to go for Troughton's glee at uh, the havoc he is going to cause. That that childlike reveling in chaos that, you know, is massively irresponsible in a hero in many ways. And yet is the key to the Doctor's success. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's a really careful balancing act, that. And I think that, you know, the Troughton Doctor gets it right. So Troughton's glee at the explosions... Uh, is my thing for episode five and Ronald Allen is as Rago is my thing for the whole thing Dominator's five favorite thing and bonus he's done okay so here's my favorite thing from episode five and it's the business with uh, Jamie tripping up the quark with his homemade rope um it's a bit of silliness really but it's also practical uh, maybe it gets a little more silly when the the quark stands in Jamie's hand and the doctor needs to call it forward. But um, yeah, it, it's it's practical, it's resourceful um, and it works well enough. It's quite a believable ploy with the quarks who uh, obviously have a vulnerability that if you knock them over, they can't get back up again. Like turtles just lie there uh, with their little legs uh, flailing around. Um, so yeah, that was my favourite thing in episode five. Um, and my bonus favourite thing for the whole serial is um, Ronald Allen as Rago, who I keep wanting to call Ragu. Um, he just really invests himself in the character. He 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 plays it straight, seriously. He's constantly his mouth turned down. He's got a sneer, sneering at um, uh, his uh, his probationer, clearly wanting to kill him if he gives him the least opportunity or the least excuse. Um, uh, and he even made me forget that he was the manager of the Crossroads Motel on ITV, which I'm sure, Toby, you must have told listeners about. Um, yeah, Ronald Allen appeared in the Crossroads soap opera for a long, long time. Um, uh, and he he managed to make me look past that. Uh, yeah, so my, my bonus... Favourite is uh, Ronald Allen as Raggle. That's it. I hope you've enjoyed the serial, Toby, and it's, um, it's not been uh, yeah, too much of a struggle for you. Yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it, because I, I certainly enjoyed the excuse to look at it again. And, uh, yeah, nice bit of research for a current Big Finish thing as well. Okay, Toby, see you soon, mate. And uh, great podcast. Enjoy. Bye. Oh, thanks. Andrew, that's Andrew Smith, writer of Full Circle, uh, very kindly uh, doing this podcast. Um, and he, and the cherry on the top of the cake of having Andrew, who's a lovely man uh, and a very, very good writer, um, is that he's bonus thing. He chose, I mean, I was never going to win, but he cho- we ended chiming together of choosing our, our, our final thing was Ronald Allen. I don't know if I did mention that he was in Crossroads. I sort of take that for granted, except, of course, see, I've got to remember that some things that I take for granted are are not necessarily universally known, not not because I have special knowledge, but because there are lots of people who listen to this who are, who are younger than I am, so don't have the same spheres of reference, or who, you know, aren't quite as all over 
the actor's side of things as as I am. But I with with Ronald Allen, I mean he yeah he I mean I knew him from Crossroads. So then you know when I started reading about Doctor Who and in Doctor Who a celebration, uh, they you know they said that it said that um which which was which was you know my education in Doctor Who that Peter Haining book. Um, you know, it, it said that the Dominators were played by Crossroads, Ronald Allen and Kenneth Ives, because um, then it tied it in with the following story, the, the the Mind Robber, which was written by the creator of Cross, one of the creators of Crossroads, Peter Ling. Um, and, uh, and Ronald Allen was very well known, even though we didn't really wa- watch Crossroads, we knew it was there and it was on. And Ronald Allen was David Hunter in Crossroads. Uh, Partly, and he played that part for a very long time. And I'm sure I did mention in one of the earlier episodes, maybe episode one, that, you know, I remember when Ronald Allen died, my mum said, oh, the radio obituary seemed to suggest that, you know, he, he was actually not, not a great actor. And I remember being appalled that, that it would do that, especially as I'd already been impressed with Ronald Allen because he'd sent up his image by playing Uncle Quentin in the comic strip presents famous five spoofs. So he obviously had a sense of humor about himself. And then I delighted to see him in Doctor Who. Um, one bit as this, and yes, that downturned mouth. I love that the way that Andrew put that, that sort of grim and grotesque turn, but absolutely straight and absolutely poised um, as Rago. And then he comes back in The Ambassadors of Death, and it's a totally different performance and a beautifully underplayed. I love him in The Ambassadors of Death, uh, which has some showy performances too. It's, it's full of good performances, but I really like Ronald Allen's sort of um, purred, underplayed, pragmatic professionalism that, that he invests Ralph Cornish with. Um, and I believe he had so much fun on the Ambassadors of Death that I think he came to visit them on the set of Inferno because he'd enjoyed being part of the Doctor Who family. Um, so, yeah, kudos to Ronald Allen, who, you know, in most history books that decide to include him will be, you know, the guy from Crossroads. Uh, and uh, But, I mean, he's in A Night to Remember, uh, that wonderful Titanic film. Um you know he's he. You know it's easy to dismiss an actor because they become associated with one part or a program that is, you know, d- deemed to be, um, uh, the the one that we you know cock a snoop at or whatever. But uh, I think Ronald Allen is a perfect example of uh, of of the fact that uh, you know really good actors can give us different things and surprise us and. Uh, we should never take them for granted. You should never take a, an actor for granted just because of one performance that you know them from. And I, I love seeing people in different things being different. And, you know, I like industry. I like people who, who bring more to the table than they need to. I hate a lazy performance. And, and I have to say that most people who come into Doctor Who seize the opportunity to not give a lazy performance because they're giving a performance they'll never get to give in anything else. Um, which is also why I like his performance in Ambassadors of Death because that is actually a sort of, you know, authority figure behind a desk kind of performance. And he, he does, you know, he does, he, 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 he invests a lot into it, even though he makes it look very easy. It's quite a low-key performance. But anyway, I'll talk about that when I get to Ambassadors of Death because I've, I've been talking for a very long time. Um, but I fear I might have repeated myself a little bit during episode five because I, I did have a little bit of a gap. Um between episodes four and five um but partly partly because i think when I, I think kenneth ives might have died on the night that i recorded 
episode four. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so uh, let's salute both of the Dominators, Ronald Allen, Long Dead, Kenneth Ives, more recently. But, uh, you know, they are the title characters of that story. And, uh, uh, you know, I salute the work of them both. And, uh, uh, and both, you know, more than a sum of the parts of their careers that I've talked about during this. Andrew Smith continues to write for Big Finish. Uh, he's also running marathons and all sorts of things and looking very, very uh, svelte at the moment, even though he's older than me. Shames me. Um, but check out his work if you can. And if you ever get the chance to meet him, what an affable, uh, cheerful bloke he is. I'm very, you know, I watched Full Circle when I was a little boy. And the idea that I would be mates uh, with the guy that wrote it even though he, he actually wasn't that much age difference between us but he was 18 and I was like uh, what was I when Full Circle was on um, oh, seven or eight so he's about well maybe he's about 10 years is he 10 years older than me yeah maybe he is um, but that's a that's a bigger gap when you're when you're eight and 18 than it is when you're 48 and 50 I don't know I'm not giving away Andrew's age but uh, um but anyway, the point is, um, I feel very blessed that I can call upon an actual writer from Doctor Who to invoke one of the less celebrated stories of Doctor Who. I was not looking forward to doing this one because I've never been a great fan of The Dominators. I still don't think it's the best Doctor Who story ever, but there's a lot more to it than I'd thought. I think it wrestles with some interesting ideas. It does something that a lot of Doctor Who stories don't do. It comes from a perspective that most Doctor Who stories aren't written from. I'm ha absolutely happy for it to raise those questions. It has some actors giving above and beyond the call of duty. It's got some really, you know, good stuff going on on location. And come on, it's a story about Tweety robot boxes commanded by squabbling alien tortoises who decide to show their might to a planet of pacifists by stomping about and killing Brian Kant and I don't think there's any other program in the history of the universe that could sustain that synopsis so for that you can dominate me any time and I will submit uh, so <laughs> until next time join me next time uh, for happy times and places that's a command and I want you to accept it thank you very much for listening to happy times and places which is presented by me Toby Haydock my special guest this time around was Andrew Smith who is on Twitter at Andrew Smith capital A capital S but the E of Andrew is a three Andrew Smith he wrote full circle don't you know I would like to thank him. I would also like to thank the many patrons who support these podcasts and make them possible. And they include Pete Lack, Paul Gibbons, Brian Sinclair, Fanman Sang, Chris Hyam, Ben Cowdell, Olivia Hayden, Ben Cook, Mary Ann Placati, Phil Mitchell, Neil Little, Andrew Nixon, Jeff Sear, Murray Robertson, Graham Knott, Shanti Day, John Arnold, Sam Hollingsworth, Nathan Martin, Ruben Herfendahl, and Stephen Moffat. Apologies to anyone whose name I mispronounced there. I've got some newcomers. Uh, the music for this podcast is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson.
Well, I never thought I'd get through The Dominators uh, with uh, quite as much enjoyment as I did, which is, I guess, what this podcast is all about. And if you enjoy it and you would like to lend it some support, it is through the support of patrons that I keep these podcasts totally ad-free. Did you notice that? No adverts, despite external pressure from, you know, advertising bods on uh, podcastville i don't know how it works but i get emails and of course my bank manager but anyway i keep these ad free because i don't like adverts so i don't want you to have to listen to them but um that means that you know uh, the patreon page uh, is uh, is more necessary than ever and that is at patreon.com forward slash toby Haydock, where you can provide support from as little as three pounds per month and you get a 10 percent discount if you sign up for a year uh, and uh, that gets you advanced releases the patrons will be listening to this six months before everybody else uh, bonus material exclusives uh, amas all sorts of other things and that's you know most things are available from the very lowest tier of three pounds uh, and that's patreon.com forward slash toby Haydock. i know a monthly commitment uh, can be a bit daunting so there's also a ko-fi page if you come across a podcast you particularly like and uh, i don't know it's payday uh, you can buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash toby Haydock. Um, but what I really do appreciate, because I know finances are tough and they're getting tougher. I bought a train ticket the other day. My goodness, I won't be going to London as often as I used to, which is a shame. But um, thanks to uh, this podcasting like a patron, it means I can do a lot of work from this cupboard I currently find myself sitting in. And if you lot are enjoying it, that is great. And as I say, um, because times are financially tough, um, what you can do to support these podcasts without having to uh, impinge upon your uh, monthly or weekly budget is you can go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give this a five-star review. Give Toby Haydock's Time Travels five stars and perhaps some positive comments so that any passing trade uh, uh, you know, has a look and goes, oh, I like the sound of that because there are a lot of uh, Doctor Who podcasts out there. So please direct people to this one, uh, particularly, actually, if you're in the United States of America. I've always had a good time in the States and people have always been very kind to me there. But uh, these are mostly currently listened to in the UK. Oh, and thanks to the 12 people in the Netherlands as well. Um, uh, they're largely a UK thing. And I think my dulcet tones and my impeccable diction might go down very well in the United States. So please uh, recommend me to any uh, American fans. Thank you. And if you're listening to this uh, when it's released to patrons, um, I'm running a sponsored run for getting medical aid to the Ukraine. I'm running 10 kilometres. Oh, dear, that's not what Doctor Who fans are built for. Um, and I have a GoFundMe page. I've not been explicit uh, about it because I already think patrons give enough. But anyway, I mention it here. Um, and just because... I guess if in six months' time people are listening and there are still terrible things going on in the Ukraine, uh, maybe they're a better, uh, a, a better place to be uh, spending any of your spare pennies. And just as you do it, just remember that six months ago I ran 10K and I'm hopefully still alive, unless somebody's putting this out after I've gone. <laughs> Uh, 
Um, so there we go. Yes. So as I record this, uh, I've got to run five kilometres this evening. Um, so I will be listening to somebody else's Doctor Who podcast. In fact, uh, Fraser Gregory, who is a, who is a, I know is one of the fools who listens right to the end. One of his very first podcasts he did was uh, uh, a defence of the Dominators. So, uh, yes, instead of listening to me waffle on, I'm going to see what Fraser has to say. The other Doctor Who Fraser. <laughs> uh, uh, Fraser the second, because Mr. Hines will uh, will always be the original. Um, so I'm going to do that. It'll be fun. I always listen to a podcast when I run. Well, that sounds like I'm a seasoned runner <laughs> on, the, on the every other year or so when I decide to do a spurt of sponsored running. Uh, I always listen to podcasts because conversation, you don't know how long it lasts, do you? Whereas if you listen to a song, I started playing music to run and then uh, and, and I was like, but songs are only three minutes and I'm already puffed and this song is not even at the first chorus. So songs, I would say, are bad to run to, but podcasts are pretty good. Um, and uh, uh, as I've said, there are lots of Doctor Who podcasts out there, and I've only scratched the surface. So I'm going to have a have a listen to Fraser's tonight. Um, I'll maybe report back on another post credits episode of whatever I'm watching next. I think I'm going to do the Sea Devils next because um, I thought I was going to do the next one, the run up to Legend of the Sea Devils, but actually that's been and gone, and I've been terribly busy. So uh, time is of the essence. I've got to get something else in the can. But I'm in a bit of a sea devil-y mood, um, so I might... Uh, and, and, and somebody has recorded uh, uh, a, uh, a love letter to the sea devils for happy times and places. Haven't you, Steve Hatcher? Yes, you have. So I think I'll do the sea devils next, and that will be number 49, and then we have number 50. 50 happy times and places coming up. So uh, I'm going to do some special ones, either special milestone stories or special guests for uh, podcasts 50 to 60. Not that every, anybody's in a special guest. I mean, my guest on this one is Andrew Smith, uh, uh, a, a genuine Doctor Who writer. So uh, actually there's no pecking order with the guests, but um, I've got some interesting people coming up anyway. And uh, yeah, some milestone stories. Uh, so 50, that's not bad. I'm not running 50K though. I'll do 50 podcasts, but I'm not going any further than 10k. Uh, so um, anyway, um, I hope you had a nice Easter. I mean, when patrons listen to this, Easter will be about two weeks ago. And when non-patrons listen to this, probably couldn't be further from Easter if you tried. But nonetheless, time me, why me? Uh, uh, so yes, good. Um, and there's a sort of egg in in the Dominators, isn't there? The uh, the bomb, the bomb egg. So that's their Easter egg. Um, anyway, I'm waffling now. Bye.